Tiana Budd. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best. So I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, we're looking into the story of a man who in a very short span lost his leg, his home, his career, but somehow kept his infectious positivity. We also will be talking about a young man who literally rode his bike across Canada to raise funds and awareness for mental health supports. We'll also be looking into why James Cameron, the famous uh, director, is warning people about the dangers of artificial intelligence again, and why placebos might actually help people live a healthier life. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. The first topic we're talking about is artificial intelligence. And as that might be something that interests you or something you've had an experience with, we would like to hear from you or receive a text message from you at that number, 877-399-9898. Um, I also want to let you know that we have incredible stuff uh, on the go tonight. A couple of individuals who are going to be our guests who are really uh, people uh, working hard to be at their best, making trying to make a difference uh, for their own lives and for the lives of others. Uh, cool story to share with you uh, my trip across canada um i want to some crazy stuff happened in vancouver at the airport you got to stick around and listen to that a remarkable story um and just lots of stuff so stick with us be a part of it and uh remember it takes a village right so uh, this is a village uh, so to speak and uh, i'm here to be a part of this with you and i'm so so happy you could join us um we're talking right now about uh, artificial intelligence and if you remember the movie terminator um, the filmmaker James Cameron. He um, he put he was the filmmaker, the Oscar-winning filmmaker uh, who put together that movie. Um, he's talking about the risks of artificial intelligence. So I don't know how much you know about artificial intelligence and to what extent uh, you've had an experience with artificial intelligence. But something like Jatbot, like the Jatbots, if you've ever used a Jatbot. Uh, what's a chatbot? A chatbot is something that you can talk, you can give it uh, information and it will, you know, write letters for you. It'll create poems. It'll do you know, all kinds of things. If you ask it questions, it will give you answers. Um, I use it all the time to write reports and such. It's frankly very helpful. You know, you then have to fill in the blanks, obviously, to make sure that uh, it's, um, it's up to snuff in terms of uh, the information being totally accurate. But, um, you know, there is a lot there uh, in the con- in the content, there's a lot there in what you can use together to make it all uh, to, to to learn from these artificial intelligent uh, platforms. Well, you know, so that's the that's the upside of it, right? That's the good side of the artificial intelligence piece is that there are many many applications that are used uh, to benefit. Um, benefit your work, benefit your social life. Um, there's a kids help phone who we're going to get on here in the next week or so. Uh, they're launching an artificial intelligence uh, portion of their response to kids and families in crisis uh, for them and for the process for that program. It's brilliant, right? But Cameron, who's um, also known, by the way, for Titanic and Avatar, um, he, he went on to talk about, um, you know, that the godfathers of AI, of artificial intelligence, have recently issued warnings about the need to regulate it, the rapidly advancing technology, right? It poses a great threat, a large threat to humanity. So he says, I share their concern. He was on uh, on uh, Global News, um, shared a story of, um, on other news networks as well. Um, and he was talking about um, 
the whole concept of why it's important to evaluate who's developing the technology and whether they're doing it for a profit um, or teaching greed or for the, or for defense per, perhaps um, you know is there's a whole concern now about the weaponization of artificial intelligence and people have concerns about how that might work out. It's the biggest danger, according to uh, some of the experts. They think of getting the equivalent of nuclear arms race, IA, uh, artificial intelligence, um, that if we don't build it, someone else will. So can you imagine um, it, you know, what artificial intelligence can do in the arena of combat, in the theater, so to speak, um, where they're using computers and technology, perhaps more so than, than humans, right? Um, to control certain things. We know that there are drone uh, devices that can be flown from, uh, you know, they can be controlled in Nevada and you, and in, in, in uh, operation in Iraq, Iran, places like that across the, across the world. Um, so that we know that there's a certain level of technology that's used in the world of, 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 um, of uh, arms uh, and, and military uh, defense and so on. Right. Um, but, the problem here that goes on to say, right, uh, that there's an issue now with the unions that represent the performers. So if you're looking at artificial intelligence in a way that, you know, how could it hurt them? Uh, so it has an effect on them because people are using their likeness. Um, and uh, let me see. The unions are arguing to, that performers need protections against their images and are being uh, the images that are being used by AE technologies without their consent. And the writers say studios shouldn't be allowed to replace them with AI to write scripts. So uh, apparently their studios are now looking at artificial intelligence as a means to get their scripts written. Um, I, I'm not sure that uh, I, I can't give any opinion either on whether that would work or not. Works great for the letters and the reports and stuff I need to write. But 160,000 actors and other media professionals uh, taking part in a union um, are on strike. And um, they're joining the 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America who feel they're most at risk in the entertainment field uh, for being replaced by technology. Um, if we don't stand tall right now, we're all going to be in trouble, according to the president of the uh, union. Uh, her name is Fran Drescher. You've seen her, I'm sure, in many TV shows and movies. Uh, we're all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines. Um, Cameron said, if you go back to the beginning of the article, he says uh, he doesn't believe the technology is or will soon be at a level of replacing writers, especially because it's never an issue of who wrote it. It's a question of if it's a good story or not, right? So I don't personally believe that. Um, he says, I don't personally believe it's a concern. He says, but let's wait 20 years and uh, maybe some artificial intelligence, uh, uh, you know, uh, meme or or avatar you know something representing the technology maybe someone they'll win an oscar perhaps is what he's saying but i, I want to know how you feel like what's your thought on artificial intelligence and um whether you think it's a good thing have you tried it have you used it right these chat bots um gpt or uh, george paul tom gpt chat um is well known it's the one lots of people use um I use different a different one. Uh, I use a, just something, just a simple chatbot um, uh, application, easy to use. I ask it questions, it gives me answers. I tell it to write things, it gives me back a response. For me, it seems to be great. Um, I'm also quite interested in what it's going to be like down the road as it relates to customer service, because I think that there, it could fill a void here big time, right? Could fill a void here big time. 
um, uh, in terms of being able to, uh, to uh, you know, get to me sooner, help me answer my questions sooner. Uh, have it listen quickly if we have a clip here, I think, uh, what uh, James Cameron has to say uh, about the Terminator. I think we have a clip here, don't we, Leo? You got to follow the money. Who's building these things, right? They're either building it to to dominate market share. So what are you teaching it? Greed, or you're building it for defensive purposes. So you're teaching it paranoia. Uh, I think the weaponization of AI is the biggest danger. I think that we will get into the equivalent of a nuclear arms race with AI. And if we don't build it, the other guys are for sure going to build it. Well, so there you go. That's James Cameron's take on um, artificial intelligence. And listen, for everything that's good, there's always a way to look at it from a negative perspective as well. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that this is uh, unfound concern. I, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a legitimate concern about the future of artificial intelligence and what that means for, for workers, what that means for creative folks, what it means for folks who are having their images and their likeness uh, being um, displayed using artificial technology. So uh, artificial artificial intelligence, that whole technology. So it's, it's definitely worth paying attention to and uh, keeping a track of for sure. My producer, Glenn um, Bergonier, he um, gave me a call this week. He says, Yona, we got to hear this story. You gotta so he sort of started telling me the story about this young man, well, not a young man, this individual, this gentleman, he's 69 years old, uh, and um, his name is Thomas Moore. Uh, he had run into some bad, bad luck. He was in Oak, Oak, he's from Oak, born in Oakville or from Oakville, Ontario. Uh, he became homeless after his leg was amputated, continues living in his vehicle at a shopping center in uh, Oakville. It's now been 238 days. Uh, the guy was a carpenter. Um, Thomas was a carpenter for decades, and then he lost his leg due to a med to medical reasons. And uh, he goes on, the, he claims the government has refused to cover the cost of a customized prosthetic. He has what's called a bulbous stump, meaning that the base of his limb is larger in width than his knee. Uh, his family has been trying to raise money since uh, to get him a prosthetic from the U.S. that costs about $80,000 Canadian so that he can go back to work. All he wants to do is go back to work and make uh, make a living and uh, continue on with his life with whatever he's got going on. Um, anyway, he um, Global News published a story on June the twentieth, and a couple of days later, he was approached by outreach workers from the Halton region, and they were they came with police officers. Anyway, without getting to a, a giant story of why cops showed up, but at the time, the officers assisted uh, Halton Housing help um, in connecting an individual with, temp with a temporary resident. So, following the encounter with the region. Um, he, um, he said, because he, he was in his car, right? So that's what I think brought this whole thing along. Um, and they then put him, took him to a hotel in Burlington, roughly about 20 minutes away from where his vehicle was parked. And he was given an access, what was given, he was given an accessible room, but minutes after the door shut, he realized he won't be able to sleep there. Have a listen to the clip. Leo? Looking at this bed and this bed's three feet off the ground. If you've lost a limb, especially a leg, that makes it almost virtually impossible. So uh, Thomas Moore has agreed to uh, join us this evening. Uh, Thomas, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. No, it's listen. I'm, I wish we could uh, have a, a positive. We're going to turn this into a positive conversation um, in some way, shape, or form. So let me tell you, sir. First of all, uh, I want you to recognize that you are on this show because you're somebody that we believe represents someone being at their best, and not because we feel sorry for you. 
So um, you're here representing what, what it takes to continue on when there's difficulty in your life. And we wanted to position that for the rest of the country um, so that our listeners could appreciate what it takes to really um, stand up, so to speak, um, you know, limb or not, stand up for yourself and do what you can to keep your, your, your honor and your dignity in check, sir. And that's why you're here, because we have a lot of respect for you. Um, so, again, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, a bunch of questions. So tell me. Since the so, how did it end up? How did you end up in a situation where you, you you lost your limb? So, was it an accident? Was it an illness? Can you give us kind of a quick summary of how that looks? It uh, was a very small accident. I had hurt my baby toe, but an infection had ensued into the bone, and it traveled through the bone in my leg, up my foot, and then through my leg. And it turned sepsis. And at that point, there was no ability to try to save anything. Everything had to go. And uh, it, I was fortunate that uh, they caught it because two days later, I would have been uh, dead. So let me ask you, um, is, is, do you think it's a, was this a medical mistake? Like somebody missed it? Or is this just a, uh, just a horrible set of circumstances? I think this is a set of circumstances. It could have been a medical mistake, but I'm not a doctor, right? So I don't have all the stuff through there. I, I just know what I went through, and it was uh, agonizing at best. Yeah, to say the least. So um, quickly, not quickly, I, I, I keep saying that. I apologize. So your life's changed, obviously, since the amputation. Um, in terms, So give us a little bit of a, so now you've lost your leg. Now what? Now, give me take me to through the kind of the rest of the story a little bit. Well, uh, we can go right after the surgery. I woke up and I looked, and the leg's gone. And uh, you know, the feelings that I was going through at that point were all oh, dismay, distraught. And then I just uh, turned it all around into more of a positive uh, light. I mean, we're we're brought into this world of limitations, right. and uh, this became another limitation so in basis it's uh, a thing and so uh, what we do is we look at things and try to find solutions for them and that's where this journey began is to try and find a solution so that i can get back to doing what i do and the solution is prosthetic limb and, 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 uh, there, and there aren't there aren't prosthetics available in canada no not for this bulbous uh it's 24 inches at the cut in circumference and then 18 inches at the knee. So it's like trying to get a 24-inch something into an 18-inch hole. Because the prosthetic has to sit tight on the entire uh, thing, the stuff. And uh, what they call it is it's conical. But in mine, it's bulbous because it's the opposite of uh, what the conical would be. It should have been narrower at uh, the base where the cut was and then flare up as you're going up the lake. Mine's the opposite. So you also have a GoFundMe page. Can you give me, how, how do people reach that? Uh, the GoFundMe page, I mean, it's a long address, but they can go to GoFundMe and then just type in uh, Thomas Moore. And that's T-H-O-M-A-S and Moore, M-O-H-R in the search bar and uh, it should all come up. 
Okay, so this is Yona reaching out to the tens of thousands of guests and, and audience that's listening to us uh, every week, my friends, my family. <clears throat> I want you all to take some time. I want you to go look up this GoFundMe page under Thomas Moore, T-H-O-M-A-S-M-O-H-R. And uh, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you can afford. This is this is a really good cause. This is uh, we're gonna, we're going to do what we can to help this fellow tonight to kind of get back uh, get back his uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of um, his own empowerment, physical empowerment. Uh, so we're all going to try to do what we can to help this fellow. Go fund me, Thomas Moore, M O H R, um, ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever it is. If enough of us do it, it'll it'll help uh, Thomas get to where he needs to go to. Okay, so um, Thomas, we uh, before we we go to break here. Uh, what keep what keeps you going every day? Uh, the fact that I've been in construction my entire life. I'm a creator. I built stuff. I have lots of people working for me, and uh, we've created quite a lot of beautiful work within the city of Toronto. I started working when there were 212,000 people in Toronto. And I've been a part of the build, and I really want to get back to it. I think I still have a lot to contribute and I want to give back as well. You know, it's, uh, it's a way of life. That's being a comedian. That's what we do. Talking tonight with Thomas Moore. He's my guest. I want to read you something here real quick. Hello, my name is Thomas, and I've exhausted all avenues to try and fix my current dire situation. I'm not naive to the fact that everything that was a, that we as society have gone through these past three years and the current struggles of many. I pride myself on being the man who has a solution to every problem, Mr. Fix-It, if you will. But alas, sometimes you have to ask for help. Life creates mountains that require the love and support from a village to get to the top. You are my miracle. Sometimes things just happen, right? Thomas Moore, thanks for joining us, Thomas. Appreciate you being here. GoFundMe page for Thomas, GoFundMe.com. Put uh, put in Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, Moore, M-O-H-R. We're looking for a vehicle. We're looking for maybe an RV. We're looking for money. Anything we can do to help this fellow is what I'm asking you. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of requesting uh, you all, including uh, myself, anybody who's hearing this show tonight, uh, reach out, do what you can. Ten bucks, twenty bucks makes a huge difference. Uh, Thomas, the average person uh, who has a, an amputation such as this, um, so let's say you know Billy Joe across the street, right? He uh, they he has some kind of situation. He has his leg amputated. Where would where does everyone else get their prosthetics? And isn't this something that, that that the you know uh, your medical card or your Ontario uh, medical assistance is that not something that's normally covered? Well, there are only two places in Ontario that are registered uh, with the government, but they're not. How shall I say? They're government funded to a point. Uh, the government will pay seventy five percent of the prosthetic, okay. but it's a conventional uh, prosthetic. It's not uh, anything that's uh, special or anything about it. Uh, so they do also have prosthetics that can run over 100,000, 150,000 because they're all computer chips in it and it mimics a real light at that point. But uh, for typical uh, prosthetic, yeah, the government will take up 75%. But uh, anything after that, you're responsible for, meaning maintenance costs, plus if you need another prosthetic, because these prosthetics will only last three to five years, 
that one you have to pay 100 percent so it's a one-time deal with the government on that anything outside of that for special uh, it's all on your own also the therapy uh, the rehabilitation part is not covered by the government at all that becomes your costs and they unless you have insurance which would cover that if you don't have private insurance uh, the costs for something like that are anywhere from 300 to 500 dollars a session and you'd probably need three sessions a week for about five months so have you reached out to uh you know your carpenter i imagine you you know a lot of fellows that are carpenters i don't know if you are a union carpenter or not a union carpenter have you have you give me an idea who you've been you know out there reaching out to beyond the gofundme page um who have you been reaching out to for help and what kind of answers are you getting from people I've reached out all over the place, and right now, because of the way the economy is, the uncertainty of the economy, um, the Bank of Canada raising interest rates, uh, everybody's hunkering down. They're not uh, out there spending anything. They're not out there helping with anything. They're saving whatever money they have because of the cost of living uh, has been on such an increase in the past uh, two, three years that... uh, affordability isn't there anymore. They don't have the extra dollar or whatever to uh, do anything. So, yeah, and uh, that's basically it. And so we decided, okay, how about we go funding page and see what that happens. And how how successful has that been so far? It's sort of petered out. It it hit, uh, I think we raised $13,000, $14,000, and then it petered out. And I really can't buy anything with that. Because right. like a prosthetic is eighty thousand dollars, the vehicle is one hundred and twelve thousand uh, dollars. Wheelchairs, four and a half, five thousand. Right. Without being electric, if you went to an electric, they're almost at thirty thousand. And it, the list goes on and on. And uh, here, the rent for uh, anything for handicap is uh, around four thousand a month. So, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. My head's spinning all the time thinking about all these costs. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a thing. So if you um, – so you're technically a homeless person, technically. I mean, you have your truck, uh, but you're yeah. technically a homeless person. Isn't there – don't they have – programs for uh folks that are are disabled or find themselves who are disabled that are homeless like um you know i don't want to sound ignorant but i am um it it would seem like in in a place like ontario that is so pro uh public health care so to speak that there would be something out there for people that fall between the cracks such as yourself you know, maybe it's, you know, uh, maybe you can't get the prosthetic, but you can get the vehicle and, and, and some therapy. And then, you know, then you can get some other stuff privately. Um, what does what the option look like for you? And what's, what, how, what's the plan for the future? Everybody's maxed out. Uh, wherever you go, there's, as far as uh, accommodations, there are none. Uh, everybody's, uh, they have their own individual needs. And uh, the thing that, the government does is they herd them all together uh, into one fit. And if you don't fit that fit, well, then, you know, if you have special needs or whatever, special dietary concerns and all that kind of stuff, uh, you fall by the wayside. You fall through the cracks. There's nothing there for you. 
they have disability uh, places if you can pay for them. The government doesn't uh, really put up with anything. And uh, case in point, uh, they just had 200 people in Toronto sitting on St. Peter Street uh, waiting to get into a shelter, and the shelters are all full. So the government throws $97 million at it and says, okay, that'll help. But that's not really long-term because that takes care of it today. And what are they going to do in two, three years? They're going to be right back uh, square one again. And we're getting so more and more people coming into the system. What's the game plan for you then going forward? I will try to get the vehicle as best I can and start to maybe uh, do some uh, preliminary work uh, to get back until I can afford uh, to buy a leg and uh, be able to really get back to it. Can you get around right now with uh, with crutches or canes or something? Can you can you survive have, without I, the leg at the moment? I have a wheelchair. Uh, okay. Crutches crutches for me uh, don't work. Gotcha. Because um, I had a hundred foot fall uh, back in two thousand and eight. Gotcha. And it sort of ruined my knees. So the crutches that are not an option for me, but I do have a wheelchair that I can get around. Whatever I need to do. How do you what, what what message can you share with our listeners in terms of how you stay positive? You know, one of the things that was extremely attractive to us in terms of having you join us is that you know you are positive. You're not giving up. You're not just pulling the blankets over your head. Um, how do you do that every day? We we're all given one gift, the greatest gift of all. And that's the gift of life. And when you have that, it. You can't waste one life. Uh, all life is precious. And you have to go through and try to figure out. Uh, you're set up with a few problems. You have to overcome them. You have to try to find a solution to it. And you have to keep trying. Uh, you know, you just don't give up and say, okay, well, that's it. It's, it's not my uh, background. And, uh, you know, I'm a fighter. I just keep going after. Well, we... We want to thank you so much, Thomas, for being here with us tonight and uh, wish you all the luck and we're going to help in whatever way we can. Uh, I'm talking to Thomas Moore. Thank you so much for being a guest. We really appreciate you uh, and all and all that you're trying to do for yourself and for others in your situation. I thank you very, very much, kindly, and uh, very appreciate it. We're going to talk a little bit here about the power of the mind, right? The power of the mind. What am I talking about? You're looking at me going, what the hell is he talking about? What I'm talking about is you can think yourself well. You can also think yourself sick. Yeah, listen to me, right? Think yourself well, think yourself sick. I don't know how you feel about it, but if you want to chime in and say something, you're welcome to join us here. You can... Uh, reach in and give us a call at 877-399-9898 or send us a text message. Either way, want to hear about what you think. Can you think yourself well? Is it possible to think yourself well? Give us a call. Let us know what you think, and uh, we'll share it with you and uh, see if we can talk about it together. So I, I, I'm a big believer. I, I believe that you can will yourself well, and I think you can will yourself unwell. And I think those folks that have 
some control over their minds as it relates to illness and uh, disease. I know that I can tell you, you know, many circumstances where I've talked to people both in my personal life and in my practice uh, that have uh, gone through horrible diseases, horrible illnesses. And, you know, at the end of the day, the therapy seemed to to work, the, you know, chemotherapy, the, the radiation, whatever. But at the what the real win was is their positive outlook. I know a fellow who's well into his 90s and has all kinds of things wrong with him and uh, should have been, he says, should have, I should have been dead 10 years ago, but I'm, I'm not ready to go anywhere, right? So it's interesting to see how much the mind can control your wellness. So um, we're talking about using a placebo. If you don't know what a placebo is, it's, you know, if you take two groups of people, you take 20 people on, on each side, you give one of them, one side of them, one group of 20, the actual medication, the actual test medication. It's usually done in a test environment, a test medication. Um, and then you give the other people a pill that looks the same, but does nothing technically, medically, scientifically, does nothing. The pill itself does nothing. But the placebo effect, meaning the effect of taking something that you think is a pill can have a huge impact on your wellness. And for half of the stu- um, for half of the participants that you know that participated in the test, um, many of them thought that they were getting better and many of them thought that nothing had changed. And interestingly enough, many of those that actually took the medication would say that not much has changed and those that took the placebo felt that they were getting better. So there was a research done through the Department of Psychology at McGill University. They gathered 102 adults who received uh, some form of pain medication, and they later provided others with uh, a placebo version of that same uh, personalized, what they call personalized drugs, right? So that's on the market. It's doubled. uh, The concept of personalized drugs has doubled uh, over the last five years, according to Dasha Sandra. She's the lead author on the study. Um, Understanding how a patient's beliefs may affect personalized treatments could encourage researchers to better control for them when to better control for them when developing new drugs so the results show that patients who were told that their treatments were personalized reported an 11% reduction in pain and that the pain was 16% less unpleasant compared to only 3% reduction for those who were told the treatment was generally effective so you get the treatment right they provide the treatment and they tell you that it's, you know, Yona, it's a personalized treatment designed specifically for you and it has, should have tremendous results. So 11% of those people, the percentage of those people, 11% of those people in that study, right, thought that they had a reduction in pain, felt that they had a reduction in pain, and 16% said the pain was less unpleasant, so less pain, right? And in most cases, they were placebo-type treatments. In other words, they were the same treatment that they would give to anybody, but as soon as you call it personalized, it suddenly has a much different effect. So the contextual factors, in other words, the context in which you share the information about the treatment, and then how that affects your mind. And that's what this is about, right? That's what we're talking about. How you can use your mind to basically make you better. So for people who have a will to live, and you say to me, you know, Yona, come on. I know you're looking at me right now going, everybody has a will to live. Not the case, right? 
many people who are dealt with uh, uh, horrible uh, disease and horrible situations, unlike our our, uh, our previous guest, Thomas Moore, who refuses to give up and sees life as, a, as something to be cherished, regardless of the fact that he's lost everything, including uh, his leg. Um, but there, you know, someone like Thomas will survive, will thrive, and will end up in a much better place in his life because he refuses to let his circumstances beat him up, so to speak. Same too with disease and illness. If you believe you're sick, you will be sick. I can tell you myself many, many times I've gotten up in the morning, said to my wife, you know, pumpkin, that uh, I don't feel good. I just don't feel good. I feel achy. I don't feel good. She says, well, stop thinking like that. And I'll look at her and go, what are you talking about? I feel crappy. She'll go, take a shower, have something to eat, see if you feel better. And, you know, when she's sick, I mean, there's a woman who's gone through cancer a few times and, and uh, has uh, some other illnesses. You know, my wife is unbelievable. She just never, she, you just never know it. If she's in pain, you don't know it. If she's uncomfortable, you don't know it. She somehow just overcomes it all with a positive attitude. Me, not so much. I try. <laughs> I try. She's just a much better person than I am. But I do definitely try. And I think for all of us that are that that might be listening tonight or, or listening to this podcast some other time, it's very important that you recognize the power of your mind. You can will yourself sick. You can will yourself well. It's a, it's a scientific fact. We know. We're I'm you know, talking about a test right now. Participants in the study went through a process that mimicked the uh, exactly that of patients who received actual personalized treatments, and they completed a sham genetic test uh, in this particular study. It was a, it was a, a test that did nothing. Uh, they they were told it would be analyzed by doctors, um, and they had they took place part in some kind of fake psychological test, and they came out thinking that they were treated with this personalized treatment and felt better, had much better results. It's confirmed in clinical settings that it could suggest that at least a part of personalized treatment's effectiveness is due to the placebo effect. So researchers need to control it for more over uh, for um, more for when developing personalized drugs, and clinicians should use it when delivering these drugs. You tell somebody something, they may believe it, and if a doctor tells somebody, you know, listen, you're, you, you've got this, this, and this, but I'll tell you, you've got a good uh, good opportunity for success. You know, the prognosis is somewhat positive. Here's what you need to do: you need to stay positive. One of the first things my my wife was. Um, prescribed on top of her chemotherapy and radiation when she had cancer, breast cancer, uh, was to participate in a mindfulness program. I mean, it was a prescription paid for by the government at the hospital. They had classes three, four times a week. Wellness was directly attributable to mindfulness, to having your mind in the right place at the right time, being able to control your thinking and Creating the positivity. Positivity is probably the greatest medicine we've ever had. It overcomes so many illnesses. It overcomes so many mental illnesses, at least for the moment, if not long term. Thinking positively about the outcome of situations, taking on a situation that's kind of crappy. We had some situations when my wife and I were were, were uh, on our trip recently. I'll share that with you when we come back from break. Um, a situation that could have turned out to be really ugly. I mean, not life-threatening, but certainly for me, devastating. And I'll explain why when we come back from break. Um, and she's like, listen, you know, it is what it is. We, we'll do this, this, and this to overcome it. And somehow it'll all work itself out. For my wife, it always seems to work itself out. You know why? Because in her mind, she makes it work out. And I'm learning to be 
the, you know, as good a person as she is, so that I'm able to do that too. And I'm suggesting to you, because I love you, I'm telling you all, listen to me. It's all about how you think, man. You can make yourself feel better. You can make yourself feel worse. I promise. You just have to try it. You got to believe this guy and try it. So thinking positively about your, about your life versus thinking negatively about your life has a huge impact on the outcome of the things that are facing you, the difficulties that might be facing you. My wife and I went on a trip. We we came we we flew from Toronto to Calgary. <clears throat> we rented a plane. Oh, rented a plane. <laughs> we rented a car. Should have rented a plane. We rented a car in Calgary and began our drive from uh, Calgary to Banff. From Banff to Lake Louise. Uh, we went to the when we were in Calgary. We went to the Stampede. Anyway, we had a great time. We went all over, all across that western part of Canada, Lake Louise, uh, Cal. Um, we ended up in uh, Kelowna for a little while through Hope. Uh, then we went. To, we were in Hope, BC, for a little bit, where they filmed the first uh, Rambo uh, movie. It was great. We, it was a fabulous, fabulous trip. Everything was so well organized. Uh, great accommodations. People were great. I was on my scooter most of it. Uh, everybody very accommodating for uh, the need for me to be on a scooter. Everything was went really, really well. Um, Tremendous vacation, really had a great kind of wind down, a chance to kind of reflect, enjoyed a lot of nature. If you've never been to that part of the country, you got to go. Lake Louise is spectacular. Banff National Park is spectacular. Kelowna, spectacular. Victoria, the drive through Hope, uh, BC. The, the whole area is just uh, fabulous and um, definitely a good drive to take. And uh, people are lovely. Uh, if you remember last week's show, I was talking about how Western Canadians just seem to be, I don't know, just a little nicer than uh, I was experiencing out here in the East. Um, so we get to the airport. Time to turn in our rent-a-car. And um, when I see, so I have a, I have a, a system, right? My system is I get into uh, the car after I've uh, ready to drive to give it back. I, I get into the car and I, you know, go through everything and then, you know, let the car go. So the second I pulled up and I got out of the car to stretch my legs, the guy jumped in real quick to read the odometer reading and uh, everything he needed to read on the dashboard or whatever. And I didn't get a chance to actually get back into the car, which I needed to do because in the armrest, I left some Tylenol. I left a cord to plug my phone in and I left my wallet. Why my wallet? Because I just I just pumped gas into the car to fill it up, quickly put the wallet in the armrest. I didn't want to get into my baggage. And I knew when I got out of the car, I would take everything with me and put it in my bag and carry on. Well, we get inside the terminal and we're 30, we're an hour and three minutes away from departure. We get through the lineup and, you know, using a scooter makes it a little easier to get through security and so on. I get to the gate and we get to the gate and we get organized and plug in my scooter to get some, some juice. And uh, my wife is uh, going to go get us some food. I go into my bag to grab my wallet to give her some money, credit card, whatever. And I can't find my wallet. So now we got 56 minutes or 54 minutes to make the plane and I can't find my wallet. So we have two rolling bags with a knapsack on each bag because we travel with, with the carry-on only and uh, my scooter that I'm obviously on. Um, and now I have to figure out how to get out of the terminal 
back to the rent-a-car place, which is in the terminal, and then back through security all in the same period of time to make my plate. Not going to happen if I do it on a scooter because getting in and out of security is just not going to, it just, so my wife, was going to go and we decided I was going to go. Anyway, I, I start heading back to where the, the gate back towards security and I see an information booth, an information desk at the um, Vancouver International Airport. I go up to a woman, her name is Sharon, and I explained my situation to her. And she said, well, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this, uh, but I will go and find your wallet for you and bring it back. You just got to stay here and wait. So that's pretty cool, right? Like, I mean, who does that these days? So um, Sharon then goes to uh, through, she's able to get through security much quicker, obviously, because she's a staff member. Um, so she goes out to get the wallet. I'm now waiting 20, <clears throat> maybe 25 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, because of my anxiety disorder and the way I think sometimes when I'm not at my best, I hadn't eaten properly. I was hungry, hadn't slept great the night before. And I'm now freaked out about my wallet because I got all kinds of things in my wallet that <clears throat> I need to have, right? I mean, can be replaced. Uh, but the thing that really bothered me was the ticket to get out of the parking garage at the Toronto International Airport when I come back. Because if you don't have a ticket, it's very difficult to get your car out of uh, parking. Anyway. So it's all going through my head, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know Sharon. I have no idea who she is. No idea. She's going to go. She's going to come back. Maybe she took off, went for lunch. I don't know. <clears throat> I get a hold of my wife. I call my wife. I say, listen, I think you got to go. And she found another flight two hours later, just in case we missed the one that we were scheduled for. And she's now going to head through security. Hopefully, she's got... Uh, She's got a Nexus pass, so it's easier for her to get through. And, you know, hopefully that was going to be the solution. She goes then flying through the airport to, to all, the, all the time, keep trying to keep me calm. And I explained it. Sharon went to get the, the, the wallet, but I don't know who she is. You got to go double check and see what's going on. So she does. She's an amazing woman. She leaves the bags and everything with me. I don't know where Sharon is. I don't know if she's coming back. She's not coming back. My wife goes through. She's goes through security. She gets to the to the rent-a-car place. She says, I just got here. Apparently, she ran. She pulled a what we call an O.J. Simpson. If you remember the Hertz rent-a-car commercials for o, when O.J. Simpson was uh, a good guy and everybody liked him, he was uh, an ambassador for Hertz rent-a-car back in the day. Uh, and he did commercials where you'd see him running through the airport and, and, and hurtling uh, the gates, the, the, the things in the way so he could get to the, his, his plane on time and so on. My wife pulled an O.J. An Simpson, ran in and out of the airport uh, at lightning speed. So Sharon shows up. Half an hour later, she shows up and she says, I have your wallet, but I couldn't bring it through security. So one of the security supervisors is going to bring it. She should be here in the next five or 10 minutes. I'm now freaking out. We've got 17, 18 minutes left to get to the, to the, they're boarding. I mean, you can hear the boarding announcement um, and they're ready to board. Oh, so now I'm waiting for this other person to show up. <clears throat> Her name is Judy. Judy shows up with my wallet. We all have a, a chat and I say to to Sharon in particular, what can I do for you? Can I, I know you won't take money, but can I talk to your boss? Can I do something for you to show my appreciation? Then she says, you can, you can nominate me for a YVR star. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. There's a program called YVR stars. So if you've ever been to the Vancouver international airport and someone's treated you nicely, please YVR stars at YVR.ca uh, YVR.ca, uh, YVR uh, I think you, you'll, you'll get to uh, their site. Um, you can nominate anybody who was really nice to you at the airport. 
I suggest strongly that you do that. I did that for Sharon. I did that for Judy. Uh, these people, these two uh, women went above and beyond for me, like above and beyond for me. And they were so kind and so gentle and so, so supportive that they made it so easy. So now I've got my wallet, but not my wife. So I'm on my scooter with one rolling bag under the seat, the knapsack between my legs. And it's, a, it's I have to control it with one hand because that's where the throttle is on, on the electric throttle on the scooter. And now I'm pulling my wife's suitcase with her knapsack through the arm. So it's all one piece. And I'm now doing this on, on this scooter, carrying this thing behind me like I'm a tractor trailer through the ramp that takes you to onto the plane, which is an S-shaped ramp. Somehow I got to the plane four or five minutes before board, before they were ready to leave. They put my, my, my bags on and her, they put her bags on as well. Suddenly she shows up. I, I pack my scooter up, put it in its cover. They put it underneath for me and everything worked out. Had my wallet. I was covered in sweat, by the way. I, you know, I showered and everything in the morning, but I, I was not, I was definitely not, uh, uh, the most pleasant um, for the rest of the flight, but my wife was amazing. And the whole thing worked out all because of Sharon and Judy. These are two women that went above and beyond for me and they don't owe me anything. They just did it because they're people at their best. So Judy and Sharon, if you're listening tonight, thank you both very much. And I hope you get your stars. And for those of you that ever go through Vancouver airport, do the same for someone who's been nice to you. It all works out if you're kind and people are kind back. Crazy story, not a crazy story. It's a great story, actually. A uh, cyclist from Collingwood to bike across Canada for mental health. His name is Braden Usher. He's going to join us here in just a minute. Certainly somebody at their best for sure. Um, he decided uh, training for, he prepared for this ride across Canada expedition. Expedition, excuse me, for mental health. A grueling 8,000 kilometer ride, which will take him from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic. Um, not just a you know, physical challenge, rather, it's a personal mission to raise awareness and funds for mental health support and services, inspired by Usher's own experiences with mental illness and desire to make a difference in the lives of others. Um, interesting guy, Braden. He's here with us tonight. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, Yona, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. Thanks for being on the show. Um, you know, I just finished. If you, I don't know if you heard any of the show, any of the show prior to me coming on, uh, but I did. I just came back from a driving trip from uh, Calgary and ended up in Victoria um, and drove all through. You know, all the up to Banff and across to Lake Louise, down to Kelowna, through um, you know through uh, Hope, uh, BC, and hung out with the the Rambo statue for a little while. Um, it was a great drive. I can't imagine doing it by bike, though, brother. Tell me, tell me how that felt. Uh, it was incredible, and so much. I imagine so much different than it would be uh, in a, in a car, which I which I had done before. Um, but I'll say I've never biked on the Trans Canada before, and it was uh, one that I was uh, a journey that would be hard to predict. So how did you, how did that work out? Like I, I was on the highway, um, didn't see any bikes. I mean, were you actually in a lane with, with a vehicle in front or behind? Like how to give me an idea physically how that looked. Yeah. Right from the start in uh Tofino West side of Vancouver Island there, I stayed on the, well, Trans Canada technically starts at Victoria, but I was right. on the highway, Trans Canada, right from, um, 
Vancouver where it hooks up there all the way to St. John's at my finish. And at some parts, you might get a good shoulder. Most of it, honestly, is uh, pretty pretty dodgy. Uh, and especially yeah. those parts that you, that you were describing over the Coquihalla um, yeah. can get quite uh, quite spicy. So what inspired you to do this, man? Like, you know, you're sitting there one day. I, no, I, I've read your story a little bit here. It talks about some issues that you've had in the past with some mental illness. We'll get to that a little bit. But I don't really want to make this so much about that. I'd literally like to make this about, you know, the, the inspiration, the, the the drive, the empowerment that you had to make this happen. Tell me tell me what you were thinking and, and, and where the motivation came from. I have found that fitness itself and physical activity has been an incredible tool for me to to move through not only emotion and that mental struggle or adversity that you were touching on, but also as a way to process lessons I'm finding and uh, really is an arena for self-development and is one of the best tools that I have for my own evolution or becoming my best self. So fitness has followed that kind of progression for me or kind of been that guiding light. And throughout the past couple of years, that's reached right from bodybuilding shows to entering my first triathlon, ultra marathon. Last year was my first full Ironman. That was at Montremblant. And wow. then now reaching into activity that not only has my own personal betterment in mind and my own character development, but also can reach to communities beyond. And through this campaign, I know that we've touched lives, thousands of lives across Canada. Um, Not only documenting this mission, but opening up a space that I can share the vulnerability and adversities in the story, but a space that other people can share too. I'm talking to Braden Usher. He, uh, when he's not traveling across Canada or sharing his story with me, uh, he is a coach, a personal trainer, and the founder of an organization called Train for Life. It's a local health and wellness studio that just celebrated uh, one year at 124 uh, Ontario, her Ontario Street in Collingwood, Ontario. If you've never been there, it's a great place. Collingwood is lovely. And next time I get up there, for sure, I'm going to come knocking on your door, brother. Um, okay, so you got this motivation. You want to share. You're a fitness guy. You're into fitness. You've done you've done Ironmans, all kinds of stuff. I have a son who's who's a CrossFit uh, competitor. He's uh, in a 40, 40 plus category. He's a superstar in the world of, of that. I know what kind of dedication that takes. Uh, I used to be a prize fighter. I know what kind of dedication that takes. But this is above and beyond, bro. Like I did a lot of road work in my day. But once you're out there, you're out there, right? There's like no turning. Was there a point at which you said, nah, I think I'm going to turn back? Never. You know, it's similar to, I think, uh, a ra- I mean, it's beyond a race, right? And exactly, exactly. And fu- it's funny that it's called the race for mental health. It's, you know, mental health, especially in your own progression, is never a race. But out there is, it's, it's beyond motivation. You are, you're doing it for something so much greater. And whatever was thrown at me, I, I knew I could be held up. I knew I could be in pain. I knew I could hit roadblocks, but there was nothing 
it was, it was going to stop my, my learning or being in that experience and being fully immersed in that learning. And I was going to see myself through to the finish no matter what. And who did you have with you? Who was on the ride with you? Thankfully, my dad was with me for, uh, for a bit of the time, actually. Um, so nice. to speak to some of the specific obstacles, I, uh, you know, because of the kind of complicated logistics of trying to bike across the whole country, it took a lot of planning for the routes and for the, what bike I wanted to use and, and the nutrition and all that. And one specific, you know, example or kind of roadblock there was I bought a bike that would be able to hold bags on it so i'd be able to be self-supported but this new bike that i bought wasn't the right fit or geometry <laughs> for me and i i didn't realize that so i went into the ride having only had it for a few weeks and i thought oh yeah this thing's good and lo and behold about three rides in i think actually on my second day i got some really bad knee pain and throughout that first week through those next couple of days my knee started to swell a lot and this created obviously obviously a lot of concern being on a very public platform and advertising this ride in this campaign and, and that was you know its own it's, its own kind of battle for me um so long story short had to rest for a few days on that and my dad drove out from collingwood uh, which is a long ride if people don't know from Ontario yeah. out to uh, yeah. out to be out to BC and I started the ride again on my triathlon bike which is not meant to go across the country but in the end that was the one for me I'm uh, here with Brandon uh, excuse me Braden Usher he rode across Canada to uh, raise some awareness for mental health and uh, I think probably meet some of his own personal challenges as well uh, listen to what he says um, he speaks on Instagram about the fear of finishing this ride that uh, was recorded a while ago have a listen what's up guys coming at you raw and real and I want to talk about a very real obstacle in a journey like this which is finishing, funny enough. So today is day 49 of riding and I am just 200 kilometers away from St. John's and, and I could finish today. Remarkable. Uh, Braden, welcome. Um, <clears throat> remarkable, man. The more I think about this and just the drive that I've done. Um, is there a reason why you started in Tofino? Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've seen people before start in Victor uh, Victoria. And yeah. the finishing point, you know, you kind of you kind of want to start and finish the most west and east that you can get. Um, and I hadn't heard of anybody starting at Tofino, so that was, you know, the further popular west east town that I knew of. Amazing! How has this um, journey, this adventure, um, how has that affected your person, your business life in terms of your? your your work as a coach and a trainer um has it have more people now sort of sought you out because you show them what you're made of uh, in real time um has it affected that part of your career or not um because i haven't uh advertised the uh the business uh as i've returned home uh and i've been focusing on the campaign itself i i have not but i have seen a overwhelming amount of people connect to the mission and uh, really resonate with 
uh, a lot of the messages and the principles that I'm talking about. What's next for you, kid? A few things. I would love to uh, write a book, um, not only including some, again, lessons and principles I've learned from uh, this journey, um, but on some uh, some topics of um, of wellness that that I coach on uh, on a daily basis. So that book is about being in the arena, and uh, and and writing is something that I would love to do, and I think it's something that can then leave a legacy beyond a book itself. Um, continuing to uh, to coach and to share those gifts with people, and um, and lastly, I would love to uh, seek out another adventure like this. Wow. Um, okay. I was, that's my next sort of one of my next questions. The impact of this ride, as much as you've raised a bunch of money, how much money did you raise by the way? So we're just over 19,000 so far. And um, I'm actually going to continue with some talks uh, and some public uh, presentations throughout the fall. And we're, we're shooting for 50 grand. Okay. And how do people give you money if they want to, what do I tell them? So, uh, go to www.raceformentalhealth.ca and they'll find d- the donate links there. As well as my, my story. Okay. So www.raceformentalhealth.ca. I think everyone out there that's uh, in the position to do so, let's uh, send a little money his way to, we can uh, help him get to that 50 grand pretty quickly. If everybody out there sends a few bucks, it doesn't take much 10 or $20 yeah. from all of our listeners and you're well over where you need to be. So how did this impact your own uh, mental health confidence? Um, you had to come on kind of walk away feeling a bit like a superhero. No, <laughs> it's uh, it, it was, it was profound um, in, in its, in its challenge in the way that, um, it was able to really allow me to, to, to learn, um, going into this, it, I, I had to pick a goal that was, that was scary enough that would match the type of demands that I have on clients every day to move into embracing discomfort, as I like to say. So this journey had me traveling over two and a half months alone on the road apart from that support I had from my dad which I told you about and cars whizzing by me all day 10 to 12 hours a day on the road 150 to 200 kilometers I I was basically biking as far as I could every day and mentally maxing out just as much as I was physically so the not only the lessons, the development, and the perspective that it gave me is is really hard to put into words. It had to make you stronger, though, right? It did. Yeah, I'm I'm still processing a lot of those those lessons, and um, honestly, just really thankful for the experience and to be able to show people what they're capable of. And that's one of the most passionate, um, you know, lessons and. Uh, vehicles that I use as, as fitness is to show people that they can be their own hero. Braden Ushers, who I'm talking to, he wrote across Canada to raise, uh, raise money and awareness uh, for mental health. So it talks a little bit, I'm going to be a bit of a therapist here for you. I don't know if you know that that's what I do for my day job, but I'm a therapist and a coach as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to get into therapist mode here for just a second. Uh, mm. The impact 
the impact on your wellness now going forward? How has it how has it changed your your mental health, your anxiety, and the stuff, your concerns you had uh, before? And you know, in terms of now, um, how has that impacted your own mental health? I appreciate you digging deep here. Um, what it has definitely given me is appreciation for my strength um, while alone. And that was one of the biggest things I think I feared was not only all that time alone, um, but in a challenging state and in unfamiliar places with unfamiliar people, nothing about this trip was familiar to me. So uh, establishing really a trust, a, a really, really deep trust in myself, my decisions, and holding my own company, I'd say really has been um, one of the biggest lessons. And, and thank you for asking that because that, that's, that's, a, that's a great reflection. I'll tell you, man, I'm so proud of you. I don't know you, but I'm so proud of you. I will know you. I'm going to get out there and meet you in Collingwood one day, uh, but you're going to make me work out, so maybe we'll do it after work. Uh, but, um, you, you know, I, I know because I've treated people for for decades and, you know, over 4,000 patients and, and families in my career. And the one thing I tell people is you need to overcome your discomfort um, in order to get comfortable in your own skin. And one of the ways we get most comfortable in our own skin is when we can be alone in a room and dark by ourselves. It's just what you did day after after day, after day, after day for 8,000 kilometers. Um, I don't think you're ever going to be afraid of the dark again. <laughs> it, it was something that I've practiced in uh, embracing discomfort, as we're saying, uh, going using, you know, cold plunging, um, training for these hard events, um, you know, you know, spending more time alone. But this was definitely the, the, the top of, of that, those challenges. And, uh, it really brought out, yeah, that, that trust in me that has been, uh, really cool to see. Yeah. You should be so proud of yourself. Um, tell me quickly a story, a quick story of someone that you met on the ride that really inspired you. Hmm. There were a number of other people, uh, that I met, um, in, Similar positions. One, for example, uh, I met um, rollerblading across Canada, raising money for mental health, I believe, for uh, CMHA. Um, and I have a friend, uh, Dr. Alex, who actually left Vancouver today, who is a um, psychiatrist herself. Um, and she is starting on her 40-day journey today, again, kind of going into that that unfamiliarity, the, the discomfort, and those people, as well as others, honestly, so I can't pick one, that it was incredible to see when I was able to be vulnerable with people and when I opened up about my own challenges with mental health and despite me doing this big, big ride, still dealing with anxiety and, and stress yeah, yeah. and trying to navigate my own doubt and discomforts. Um, as soon as I was able to do that, nearly every single person was able to relate firsthand or secondhand to some degree in their mental health. Stories. Yeah. 
every day that like it could just absolutely move me because to to feel like you are more alike with people and that you're understood and that you're heard and that we're not alone in this is a feeling like no other. Braden Usher, you're a superstar, buddy. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope to have you back on again. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the the conversation. I, I hope that if you come to Kong, we get to meet.